Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host. Really excited about today's show. And uh, I'm here today with my co-host, Zev the Wolf Nather. He hasn't had a lot of uh, opportunity to jump in here recently, so I'm going to give him a little more opportunity to, to be on the show today. He pouts if he doesn't get to, to get on air at least a little bit. I'm going to have to reconfigure my mouth. <laughs> Okay, we're going to start with our collegiate spotlight, and today we've got Harry Mullins of the University of Kentucky Wildcats. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your program and everything we could possibly need to know if we've got kids that are shooting or that we know somebody who, who might like to continue their education and uh, continue shooting as well? Sure. First, thanks for having me. Um, we are a Division One school. Uh, we sponsor rifle and it's a co-ed team, so we have both males and females on the team. We compete in both small bore and air rifle, which is the NC2A sport. Uh, our range is located on the campus of the university, and uh, our strength right now is really small bore per se, but we're always looking for air rifle shooters. Now, I know that um, a lot of the teams, you know, use the same uh, shooters to shoot both small bore and and air rifle, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Is that right? You could have a, a totally separate team shooting air rifle that you do small bore? And that is correct. During the course of the season, we pick five shooters in each of the two events, and the top four scores count. Now, the drawback to that is at the NC2A championships, it does have to be the same five. So we typically kind of you know look for the shooters that can can shoot both guns very proficiently. But as the season progresses, you can take the strengths of some of the individuals and kind of offset the weaknesses of others a little bit to move into the tournament. You know, that sounds kind of odd, Harry, that they would require that it be the same five shooters because even in the Olympics, they are two separate events, and you would think that they would like to give, uh, you know, more kids an opportunity to participate. Uh, and, uh, I, I agree with you 110% there. Uh, but a, lar a large part of the problem is is the logistics of the time that you qualify and then getting them into the tournament. And there's a limited number of people that can participate in the tournament. Currently, it's the number 48 as far as the competitors go. So you have... 40 competitors from eight different teams and then eight competitors as individuals. And so I think just from the logistics end of it and more of the fairness end of it, they've kind of come to that formula. Is that 48 number picked because it makes a good bracket or is the location of the, the event such that that's all that they can handle? I'm, I'm assuming it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, that, sometimes that's a little bit above my pay grade as far as that decision-making goes. But a large part of it, too, is going back in the history of the championships before we started shooting the championships in these larger venues. The biggest ranges we would typically compete on would have 16 points. And having you know two relays versus three relays versus four relays you know, shooting is, is a long, long-term sport as far as time-wise goes. And so, you know, you really draw out the day to where, you know, just for one event, it could be typically 10 to 12 hours. And so now that we're doing it on bigger venues, 
having more people, I think, is is a good thing, but the rules kind of haven't caught up to that yet. So how has the University of Kentucky done in uh, the NCAA tournament recently? Uh, we've been fairly fortunate. Uh, this past year, we finished fourth. Uh, the year before that, fifth, uh, which is kind of down a little bit from where we have been. In 2011, we won the championship, and we had a pretty good run there for probably about the mid-2000s until recently where we were in the top two or three. And so we're trying to make our way back up to that position of getting on top of the podium. So during that time, how many kids, how many shooters did you qualify? Uh, we, you know, we all, we typically qualified just five. If you qualify as the team, um, you know, it used to be where you could have your five that qualified as a team and then have individuals as well. But if you qualified just as a team, then you only get five spots. So if you're one of the top eight teams, that's the only spot you get is five. Okay, so I, I was a little misunderstood. I, I misunderstood you a little bit. Uh, you qualify as a team, as a five-man team, when you were talking about qualifications earlier um, and you uh, for the tournament, I assumed that, that each of the individual shooters would have to shoot a certain score and able to, uh, before they could qualify, but you do that as a team, huh? Yes, sir, but you're actually pretty much spot on in the sense of for the individual. So basically what they do is they take the top eight teams and all those individuals get removed and then they take the next four individuals in each of the respective events, small bore and air rifle around the country, and those four individuals can qualify as individuals. Oh, great. Okay. So they do have uh, individuals, maybe one guy from one school qualifying, uh, whereas the rest of the team you know, just didn't have a, the, the type of shooters you need to qualify. Correct. Correct. Okay. You know, so it doesn't limit the number of, of kids getting a, an opportunity to shoot in the nationals as much as it could have if it were just, you know, just team stuff. Um, no. you, you, it's an NCAA-sanctioned event, so you have um, grants and aid t- for your uh, athletes? Yes, sir. Uh, we're, the NCAA scholarship limit is 3.6. Uh, and that's 3.6 scholarships. On, in the NC2A system, we're considered an equivalency sport. So the coach decides, you know, the percentage or dollar amount of a full scholarship that each individual gets. And so typically, you know, most teams will carry between 8 and 14, 15, you know, individuals. You know, so you can kind of do the math real quick. 3.6 scholarships, you know, spread out, you know, doesn't make for a large sum for any one particular person. You know, I've never understood that when they talked about how many scholarships a school had. Is that per year? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, The NC2A rules uh, are set up in a way that the scholarships are renewable from one year to the next. So, you know, you can get X amount percentage one year. You know, if you do a great job, the coach can increase it, you know, the next year and kind of reward the kids only if the money is available because you cannot go over 36 yeah, boy, that's, that sure doesn't seem like a lot of scholarships for a program that might carry 15 kids, but no, unlike, no, it's not. unlike no, football, it's not. where they might have 60 guys on scholarship. Yeah, actually, football limit is 85. Are you kidding? And, and, and football, football, is, from, football is what they call a headcount sport, so it's either all or nothing. Uh, so you're either on a full ride or you're considered a walk-on. Oh, well, 
That's good to know. Um, is there anything else that the listeners need to know, Coach? Um, how about uh, the school website so that they can get in touch with the coaching staff? Uh, if you go to just UK Athletics, uh, UK Athletics, Google that. It'll take you straight to, to our website to where you can get in contact with the coaching staff, but more so just you know, really get involved in, 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 the, in the watching of the sport. Now that it's online and you can see the targets, if you actually go to the site Megalink Live, uh, every, you know, every day, everything that's going on as far as the people that have those type of targets, uh, you can click on there and it will have the targets listed and you can click on it and you can actually watch the targets you know, as the shooters shoot from anywhere around the world. And so that's kind of neat. Once you start getting hooked on it, you know, it's a crazy sport where you watch big dots hit little dots, but you can really get hooked on that in a little bit. Yeah. Could you give me that uh, information one more time? Because that sounds really interesting, something I haven't heard of. Yeah, it's, uh, if, if, you, if you Google Megalink uh, target systems and just go to results, I don't have, my computer's not on, otherwise it, um, it, it'll have the link there, but if they just, uh, Megalink, M-E-G-A, you know, L-I-N-K, uh, you know, and, and go to the results section of it, and it'll bring up all the, all the systems around the world, even around the world. I mean, we watch matches sometimes in Norway or some of the other places, that uh, you know, you can click on it, and then you can pick the shooters that you want to watch, and it's it's really cool. Also, now I have another. The, now I have another screen. I have to make sure I pop off when Kelly walks in to my office. <laughs> I'll be on that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that or even the NC2A Rifle dot org. Uh, you know, a lot of times the live scoring. You know, if you click on one of one of the matches, it'll take you to that link as well. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you being here and sharing all this information with you. Good luck in your uh, your matches this year, and, and when you get a little closer to the, uh, the NCAA tournament, uh, good luck with that as well. Uh, once again, we've got Harry Mullins with the University of Kentucky and, and their shooting team. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Okay, uh, great information. It seems like every time we do one of these collegiate spotlights, I learn something I didn't know, which is – we can watch shooting events online now, something that, that I just wasn't aware of. Now, I have watched a number of NCAA wrestling tournaments online because I'm an avid fan. I actually was at the NCAA tournament last year, watched uh, every single match of every single round last year during the tournament and had a ball. So, uh, you know, that's a big uh big thing for me. We're going to get right into the next part of our show. We've got a, a good friend of mine. He's been a friend for a long time. I'm not going to lie to you. He's a, been a really good customer of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks. And one of the reasons why I think that uh, Jim and I get along so well is that he he has the same type of philosophy about providing products to his customers that McMillan does, which is why he uses our stocks. So um, without much more uh, ado, I want to... Welcome, Jim Ketchum. Jim, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This is something that's one of a kind. Yeah, this is a, well, you know, who knew 20 years ago when we met, or maybe even longer than that, that, uh, you know, someday I'd be hosting a radio show and you'd be a guest. Exactly. It's more like 30 years ago. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't think you were that old. <laughs> well, I, know I, I, was pretty young. I was pretty young when I bought I bought my first McMillan. I think I was only 24, 25 years old. You know. Well, why don't you go back a little farther than that? Tell everybody, you know, where you grew up, 
how it was that you got involved in firearms, and then we'll uh, we'll get into what you're doing today in a little bit. Okay, um, I started out as a teenager, and I I liked shooting for some reason. I don't know why, but my parents had sent me up on a a PAL league where they had a regular weekly shooting ordeal, and we shot small bore four position. And I advanced at a pretty high rate of speed. They had never seen anyone do this. And at that time, you got to remember, this was mid-70s. And I went through all four positions, and we started shooting matches all over the place, and it took us everywhere. And I shot on a senior league for two different teams, plus the small board team, the juniors. And the the juniors held up the senior league team because we always won because of us juniors. <laughs> it was it was an insane deal. But I started out shooting there, and then I went away to college. I was still doing pretty good. I graduated college in machine tool technology, and I got hurt on the job, the first job I had after getting out of college, and I broke my back. And I've got a vertebrae in the middle. My first lumbar is shattered. And I've got that all glued back together, and they turned around and took all my interests and what I had background. I came up with this program of going into building guns and machine work. And almost everything I do now evolves around machine work and making things more precise, more consistent. I know what it takes to be a, a competitive shooter, and I used all that interest into making it better for the shooter. And... That's basically the background I have. It, it 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 was kind of kind of planned out, but I went with the flow, and this is where I'm at. And like I said, well, I, I I'm going to put you on the spot, Jim, because we just okay. finished a, a collegiate spotlight with the uh, coach of the University of Kentucky, and I know that yeah. the NCAA course of fire for small bore and the Olympic course of fire for small bore is three position, which is standing, kneeling, and prone. What the heck's the other, the fourth position? Sitting. We shot prone, oh, sitting, kneeling, so, and offhand. And that, yes. was, uh, that was more of a, a national deal. That was the NRA program. Or okay. that's how the NRA did it. At, at the time I was doing this, it was called ISU or the International Shooters Union was the three position on what you, you're talking about. And they even had a different target, which was a lot harder to shoot and everything. Um, I even had one kid that I shot with that got an opportunity to go to Tennessee Tech on a full scholarship, but he turned it down, which I thought was pretty bizarre. But um, I never got that far to it to where they really, I stood out. Where'd but, you grow up? <clears throat> In Petaluma, California. Okay, so you haven't moved far from home. Oh, no, 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 no. I stayed right here because I'd seen the opportunity here because there was nobody doing what I was doing at that time. Well, I don't and think Central uh, California is part of the People's Republic of California. I think it's its own little um, universe oh, on its own. But oh, yeah. You still are subject we, we to a lot of the... Oh yeah, it's it's kind of a, a bizarre place. It, it's it's getting worse now, 
But back in those days, it wasn't a bad thing to be a Republican. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was different, you know. Everyone went hunting. Everyone did everything in those days. And today it's, it's a whole different demographic makeup, you know. And I don't know, the, the shooting sports was always a lot of fun to me, but it also was a good place to, to achieve knowledge of what it took to be able to, to shoot good on top of it all. Um, there's a lot more to it than just your equipment. You have to have the right mindset to be able to do it, too. And that's something there's not a lot of people that have. Okay, so as you grew up, you got into, I know you do a lot of hunting now. Um, oh, yeah, always I've always something? Uh, I'm sure that was pretty yeah. hard when your back was bothering you for you to be able to, to hunt. But since you've gotten a little bit better, I'm sure you've been able to hunt. Oh, yeah, I get around pretty well. Um, I did lose like 40% of the strength of my legs over the whole thing, but I try to gear myself to things that I can do. I never got into like sheep hunting and things like that. Cause I knew I physically couldn't do that, but the rest part I can do fairly well. Um, so as my business grew, I found myself more interested in going hunting and cause that was mainly what my business com- consisted of is people that hunted all over the world. And I was able to take my experiences of that and apply it to these guns that I'm building for people that hunt uh, Kyrgyzstan, all over Russia, some places in China. And they all had to have something that was would work for them. And you would see, I had one customer explain it to me this way, because I'm, I'm, this hunt's cost me 35000 Building this gun to you seemed like it's unchalant. I said, no, I know what I'm doing. I know how to make it work. It's up to you to do your part, but my part will be easy because I know how to do that so well. And that's how I describe it. And I think with all the years of shooting small bore, it had put that emphasis on everything. And that's where I get so serious about building rifles and making them shoot good. Well, I know, because we've talked about this before, and uh, now that we've let the cat out of the bag without officially saying so, uh, Jim Ketchum builds some of the finest hunting rifles on the market. Anywhere you want to look at at very high-quality, accurate hunting rifles, Jim's guns will stack up. So, um, So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about extremely accurate, well-built custom rifles for specific applications, but 99% of them are hunting rifles, correct? Yes, most everything I did. But in my earlier years, I even had some guns that wanted to super shoot. I've had guns shoot 600-yard bench rest matches, F-class stuff, but mainly it's hunting rifles. And like I said, everyone wants to go once because these hunts can be so grueling that you want to make it happen once and be done. You don't want to have to go back and do it again because the one customer that was in Kyrgyzstan, it about killed him because of the altitude because you're hunting at 16,000 feet. And like he said, he didn't want to have a gun that was going to screw up and not be able to perform like he wanted it to. And it did perform for him on that hunt. And that isn't the only one. if I asked you, Jim... 
what makes you different than a hundred other gun builders out there or what makes your guns different than theirs, what would you tell me? I would tell you it's because I'm a one-man shop. I don't have no one else working for me. I'm by myself. I'm the guy that put the chamber in the barrel. I'm the guy that bedded the stock. I'm the guy that helped you pick the stock out. The whole nine yards and what I put together. And I also use nothing but major name brand stocks and barrels and actions. And I, I achieved that to my main success is I've always used heart barrels. I've always used McMillan by far is the best stock on the market for a, a lot of different reasons. And the main thing is it's a product that will take the abuse and keep on going. And that, that lifetime, that lifetime guarantee is another good point, but I've never have really ever used it. Um, I had one customer break a stock twice and McMillan always replaced it. No questions asked. But, well, uh, well, thanks like for said, pointing that out. It's something that, that we don't talk a lot about because uh, it, it doesn't really come up in conversation. But yeah, every stock we make has an unconditional lifetime guarantee. And that means that if you're on a horseback hunt and your horse rolls on it or your ATV rolls over on it or if you back over it with your truck and it breaks, we'll, we'll give you a new one. And uh, so I appreciate you pointing that out. And I also appreciate you saying the part about never having to um, take us up on it. Because if we gave that kind of guarantee and we didn't make a really good product that could survive a lot of those types of situations, we probably would be out of business by now. Oh, well, another thing you've, you've got going for you, Kelly, is look how many different pattern styles and, and types of stocks you have where a lot of the manufacturers out there right now have one stock and everything fits in it. Yeah. And that's and another I, reason I why I like that, McMillan. That makes a big difference for customers like you who, who want to be able to give their customer exactly what they're looking for. And, and so exactly. it helps you do your job. Exactly. And it, I think McMillan has always been a big help to me in that department. Um, I also have a, a rifle barrel manufacturer that had come to me probably 20 years ago and said something to me, and I've been very loyal to them big time for the same type of affair and a reason. And uh, I, I stick to the people where I can be part of the family. And that's another thing that McMillan has is I, I can almost – call or talk to any of you folks down there and it's just like I'm talking to an old friend and that's another big thing that I like about McMillan is that part right there well Um, you know it's really like you are part of the family every time we see you at the shot show you come hang out if if you want to put something behind the the curtain in our uh, booth to, so you don't have to carry it around we've always let you do that so yeah you know oh yeah we consider the, the customers that have been as loyal to us and have been around as long as you have family. And, and I think that that's why everybody that works for me has that same type of attitude. Everyone is watching over everybody's shoulder because they want to make sure that every customer has a good experience. And if they see somebody uh, on staff saying or doing something that they think 
isn't really the way that I would want them to do it, they're free to say so. And we talk about it. We, we had that situation come up today. A guy called about something on the store. And uh, one of the guys told him, well, you know, you have to call the guy who runs the store. And I said, no, no, no. Anybody calls to ask a question, we answer the question. We don't want to say no. Now, you can tell him that, you know, once he gets the information he needs and he needs to buy it, he has to go to the site to buy it. But you, I want you to give him all the information he needs. So that's that's the kind of thing that we do here at McMillan, I think, makes oh, uh, yeah. customers, uh, family members and even gun builders like you. Hey, Jim, we got about a couple of minutes. A um, couple of things I wanted to ask. Any particular okay. calibers that you're really fond of right now? Something that's real popular you've been on? building a lot of guns I, on and I've, I've seen a big insurgency of six five you know something six five short mag uh six five forty seven lapua six five creedmoor for the people who like to buy ammunition um that's one of the things that's happening right now i see a lot of there's still a lot of demand for 30 caliber magnums and good shooting 30 caliber magnums Sevens are starting to come back again and being real strong because I think the bullet manufacturers are producing a product that is user-friendly. And I heard this from a, a person that runs a shooting school that nowadays when it comes to building guns, you've got to start thinking of things of the future, and bullets are the key factor in how you do things because these bullets that are producing are going to be down the road a ways is they're definitely going to have higher coefficients. And there's where the market's going. Well, and you have to stay on the leading edge of anything anytime you want to stay in business. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jim, just got 30 seconds. How would a customer that wants to order a rifle from you get in touch with you? I would call me on, I would call on the phone. It's area code 707-762-3014. Leave a message because you've got to remember it's a one-man band. I do everything, and I I've always worked on quality, not quantity, and that's the best way. And I would like real FaceTime with people, have them right there in front of me. I I can I can cross-examine them and figure out what exactly they need or want. That's the best way to do it. Okay. Well, I thank you for being on the show, Jim. Thanks a lot. Really enjoyed the conversation. And I will let all of our listeners know that if you need Jim's phone number, you can always call McMillan. You can get that number off of uh, McMillanUSA.com and we'll get you in touch with Jim uh, to have your next custom hunting rifle built. Jim, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Kelly. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. And for the rest of our listeners, let's... uh, I'd ask you to stick around for about the next uh, minute and a half while we take a commercial break, and then we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. For over 40 years, McMillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, McMillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. 
check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you are listening to taking stock with kelly mcmillan now back to the show welcome back to taking stock with kelly mcmillan thanks for sticking around through the commercial break thanks for being with us on this uh, really great friday um if you want to listen to any of our other episodes, you can get those on demand by either going to Voice America Sports Channel or you can uh, click on MacmillanUSA.com, click on the radio tab, and then follow the links to, uh, it'll actually give you a selection of which month you might want to listen to and then click on that and it'll open up the uh, available uh, show. So you can listen to all of our previous shows if you want to. I want to get back to uh, Jim Ketchum. Uh, great guy, been a, a customer of ours for you know almost 30 years. Uh, he went through his phone number a little quickly, so I want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to write it down if they want to. His name is Jim Ketchum, and it's Jim's Precision. The phone number is 707-762-3014. And he did say you can Google his name and it'll, his phone number will come up. He doesn't have a website and didn't didn't have time to explain uh, what that was all about. It seems unlikely these days that somebody wouldn't have a, a website, but he says there's a really good reason why he doesn't. And I think it has to do more with uh, being one-on-one with individual customers and, and not, you know, wanting to take the time to manage and, and do everything you need to with a, a viable uh, website. So now I want to introduce our next guest. Um, great guy. Uh, we first met at uh, the 2017 King of Two Mile, uh, where he was there representing Peterson Cartridge. Uh, Joe Curry is with us today. He's the director of de- development for uh, Peterson Cartridge. Hey, Joe, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Kelly. Thank you very much. Uh, it's uh, great to be here, and, and I'm actually honored to, uh, uh, to be talking one-on-one with the godfather of ELR. 
Well, I don't know if I'll take that moniker, but you know, I will admit that that I've been interested and involved in trying to promote the sport uh, simply because I think that it has such a an allure for a lot of people. Uh, just being able to shoot way out there at things that you can't even see with your naked eye, I think, attracts a lot of people. And so it's something I think is new. I think it'll bring some more people into the sport and, and it'll give some people a, a way to, one, test equipment and, and products that, that are made for accuracy. Because, man, once you get out past a mile, I mean, accuracy is the first thing that starts to show you whether you're qualified to go to the next distance or not. Because if you can't keep that gun, you know, shooting quarter MOA, and let's not just say the gun, but the system, because I think that's a really important point. It's not just a gun. It's the ammunition. It's the, the, the glass. It's the spotter. It, I mean, there is an entire system, and every piece is critical. So today we're going to talk about one of the, the pieces that I think kind of gets taken for granted, that unless you're a high-level, national-caliber, competitive shooter, you may not know exactly how important the brass is to your overall load and the success of the gun. So do me a favor, Joe. Tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you grew up, how you got to where you are today so that people will see what your background is, just get to know you a little bit. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, I started out, I think, by just uh, kind of quoting Wyatt Earp where he said that uh, speed is fine, but accuracy is final. And um, uh, the the foundation of any shot is is the brass. So I can uh, back up uh, years ago. I I grew up in uh, northwestern Pennsylvania, um, uh, about 20 miles north of Pittsburgh, and I grew up in what was uh, uh, back then the metals capital of the of the United States, and. Um, uh, I actually grew up in metals. My father was a broker, and uh, I understood um, expansion rates, contraction rates, uh, all the way growing up. Uh, I can remember uh, uh, cutting steel in uh, 20 below zero weather and uh, not knowing that rapid expansion and contraction really causes steel to act funny. So a few broken bones later, um, I realized it it, it uh, was not a, a one-lesson show for me. So moving forward, um, got my degree uh, and uh, uh, moved on to uh, become a metals broker myself, started out in metals, and um, uh, bought and sold for years. And uh, lo and behold, one day there was this opportunity that uh, uh, was in defense. And I had done a contract uh, years prior uh, in defense, I want to go back to, um, I think it was 1988 or 1989, uh, did a, uh, a military contract and uh, cut my eye teeth then, and I kind of got the bug. And um, anyway, uh, saw this ad, applied, um, I understood the process, of course it had to do with blended metal technology, and uh, that's where it all started, getting into the ammunition, uh, learning the... Uh, uh, learning the curve there, learning how things work, how it processed. And, of course, uh, as you know, the, the, the defense industry, ammunition industry, weapons industry, 
is um, it's a very uh, close market, uh, very uh, very small. Um, most of us are uh, we know each other. Uh, you know, we started out, um, uh, you know, salesman or marketing guy, and and now we're uh, CEOs, owners, presidents, and directors. Um, so so we've come up through the ranks that way. Um, I was working for about eight years consulting in defense and, and saw this brass company uh, several years back in this fledgling uh, brass development, brass uh, manufacturing. I called them and started talking to them, uh, got some samples, and uh, it was the, in my opinion, uh, my humble opinion, the best brass I had ever seen. And uh, I got a few samples to some of my friends that are shooters, and um, they worked up their loads, and uh, they tightened their groups. They couldn't believe it. So I was sold and uh, was lucky enough to get on board in uh, April of uh, 16, and I've uh, been moving forward ever since. You know, that's an interesting story. Where did you go to school? Uh, to college? Yes. Uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, uh, affectionately IUP. <laughs> That's confusing, but okay. Was it Indiana or was it Pennsylvania? <laughs> no, it, uh, it is the, uh, the school itself is called Indiana University of Pennsylvania. It is located <laughs> in uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania, um, which uh, at one point oh, in time was the Christmas tree capital of the world. Well, that makes more sense now. Uh, yeah. I didn't know there yeah. was a town called Indiana, but there are a lot of small towns in Pennsylvania that I've never heard of. One thing I have heard of, though, is that Pennsylvania really was the hotbed of accuracy back in the, the mid to, to late 60s, early 70s, um, and, and even exists still today. They have um, the Williamsport 1,000-yard uh, bench rest. Uh, they yeah. have... Hart rifle barrels, Wally Hart or Robert W. Hart and Son, uh, custom gun builders, but there were just a, a large number of bench rest shooters and high power shooters and small bore shooters that came out of Pennsylvania. And I'm not sure why that is, but it's a fact that I I think probably in if you go back, it's got more of the Hall of Fame type shooters than any other state does. Um, uh, that, that's a pretty easy answer for you, Kelly. Um, the uh, Pittsburgh at one point in time, of course, was the steel industry uh, in the world. I mean, it was the epicenter. And um, uh, anybody who, who had connections inside a steel mill could get uh, the, the, the steel needed for uh, whatever barrel they wanted. <laughs> so... You had guys uh, who had friends, and uh, they 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 got their metallurgical composition and uh, moved it forward. The next thing you know, the uh, the barrels made and uh, got to put it to an action. So you know, I would sense. believe that's the case. My uncle used crucible steel and a particular lot as specified to. Uh, I mean that he had them run specifically to his specs and uh, he wouldn't use ever use any other steel on his rifle barrel so yeah I can understand why Pittsburgh and, and the surrounding areas became 
is synonymous with building custom rifles and, and high quality metal products. So, so let's let's talk about brass. Everybody knows that if you're going to build a gun that's capable of say third MOA or, or quarter M, minute MOA, you need to do certain things. That is, you have to have a custom load. That means that you have to to find a load that you've tuned specifically for that gun. Every barrel's a little bit different. Every circumstance is a little bit different. And uh, whether you live in Arizona or you know at, at 1,500 feet here in Phoenix, or or you live in in Denver, Colorado at 5,000, you know everything comes into play when you're you're building the load. Um, and there are some things that have become kind of commonplace with brass turning the necks, you know, cleaning the flash hole, you know, you know, filling the, you know, weighing them by uh, weight, so, sorting them by weight so that you can get a consistent, the theory is, is that if the outside dimension of every case is exactly the same and they vary in weight, the inside dimension has to be different, which affects how the powder burns, the burn rates and how effective your load is going to be. So talk to us about how Peterson's does things differently and why it's maybe the only brass on uh, available on the market today that you don't have to do those things with well without getting into too many uh trade secrets so to speak i I don't know if i could say it uh, uh, as trade secrets but of course uh, everybody who uses peterson knows that the concentricity is right on spot i mean it's absolutely beautiful uh uh, you could almost hook it to an axle and roll it downhill. Um, uh, our water volumes are what a lot of people, you're talking about the internal volume of that case. Um, when you do a test, uh, uh, as most people try to, um, water volumes are typically uh, no more than, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's 3% off. So the, the, the internal volume of our case is is as near uh, specific as you can get. Uh, you know, brass is not, uh, brass case is not a uh, machined part. Um, so you are, um, uh, you're almost at a, uh, while you can use the math, while you can use uh, uh, each stage of the draw, um, you, you are um, uh, lucking out in some cases. I, I don't want to say luck because uh, luck really doesn't have much to do with it. Um, we, we have a, uh, uh, a young president, um, I believe uh, Derek Peterson is about 29 or 30 at this point in time. But Derek is uh, what I like to say the uh, 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 the Kalishnikov of our time when it comes down to brass. Um, he really puts his heart into it. Um, he does uh, 99% of the development. Um, and he he works at brass nonstop. Um, so our our uh, very specific uh, manufacturing process, um, uh, we use a a, uh, a type of machine to to manufacture our brass in different stages, of course. Uh, but the tooling is ours. Um, we we do all of our own uh, work in house. Uh, develop our our dies, uh, send them out. Uh, to be manufactured, uh, and then they come back. But it is all our own uh, uh, specifications that are on our tooling. Um, when it comes down to um, 
any other aspect of the uh, uh, the manufacturing process. One of the one of the key ingredients for us are the people. Um, we have uh, several inspectors uh, who uh, go through a staged process of inspection. Every piece of brass that comes out um, is is actually touched by uh, gloved hands. So. While it is uh, rolling off the uh, uh, off the assembly line, so to speak, it is all being um, uh, mic'd out, checked, weighed, uh, you name it. And our process, uh, we produce uh, several hundred parts um, uh, at a time. And in the uh, production process, uh, we believe it's unique in the industry, but we will pull eight samples every so many hundred uh, uh, parts. And in those eight samples, um, uh, we, we, we measure them, we weigh them, we, we spec them out, we, we fire them, we, uh, you name it, we run them through the ringer um, to be absolutely sure that, that what we do send out um, uh, is, is the best that we can possibly make. Uh, we 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 would like to to think that we're the best in the world, but you know uh, that's kind of a big ego, and and I think I'm the only one in the in the company that has the ego. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, uh, you know, listening to that explanation really makes me look that much more forward to uh, coming up to visit your plant. You've been kind enough to invite me uh, as part of your participating in what Kelly is is going to be launching very shortly a online store called ELRHQ. Uh, he defined a need for aggregating the best of the best uh, of all the uh, components that make the system or the platform, as he mentioned. And when he mentioned the platform, he, he forgot to mention what I think is the most important, which is the stock being the beast uh, that, that we make for that purpose. But you guys have been identified as, as you know, really one of the best of the best in the brass business. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, you. Uh, what Kelly has mentioned in the past as well is that this really is a relationship business. And I got to say, you know, from the moment I met you at King of Two Mile, uh, you're one of the most affable, nice guys I've met. Uh, you're, you're always willing to help people understand uh, what it is you know better. And uh, it was just really, really nice to meet you and good to meet you. And, and you quickly got into that, that group of, of the guys, the champions who, uh, who respect you for what you do. And, and we appreciate that. Um, one of the, the uh, topics I wanted to bring up is, is your political uh, situation. That, I mean, not situation, your political work that you do. And knowing you, it's probably due to your passion for what I would call conservative and righteous views. Could you give us a little bit of a background on some of the things you do? Uh, I know you met recently with the vice president and so on. Is that something you can share with us? Um, uh, first off, Zeb, thank you for uh, the the, uh, the compliments there. I, I truly do appreciate that. And uh, I set out um, every day to to try to um, try to help everybody I can. Um, you know, at at one point in time. Uh, uh, Christ said, you have to love everybody. Um, but I've read the Bible cover to cover at least three times, and I've never seen where he said, you have to like everyone. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 
I, I set my goals pretty high, and uh, sometimes I don't achieve them all. But uh, I, I, I do appreciate you acknowledging the uh, the fact that I, I do do that. Um, uh, I'll I'll be brief. I'm I'm kind of sidelined with the uh, political uh, question because I wasn't expecting that, but uh, that's okay. I can I can run with it. Um, uh, I've been political for years. Um, uh, I, I can go all the way back to um, uh, uh, the first vote I ever cast was for Ronald Reagan. Um, so right. of course I am. I am a uh, a Republican and have been. That doesn't mean I haven't voted. Um, uh, for a Democrat, I, I actually do vote the vote the man, not the party, because as you can see uh, right now, there there is a uh, uh, a barrage of really they're Republicans. Um, so <laughs> that being said, um, uh, if if you remember in June of fifteen when uh, uh, then. Um, Mr. Trump came down the escalator and uh, uh, announced that he was uh, seeking uh, the presidency. Uh, I, uh, I sent an email to um, uh, the, uh, to the, well, I'm not the administration, but to the campaign at that point in time. That night, I sent an email. And in the email, I literally told them that if they did not put me on board somehow, some way, um, they were idiots, and uh, I got a call. <laughs> I got a call the next morning, believe it or not, um, and it was from uh, Trump Towers. And um, uh, I, I talked to the gentleman, and um, uh, the next thing I know, I'm being recruited to run as a delegate, um, as well as be the um, uh, the chairman of um, uh, the local uh, my my. Uh, my hometown uh, Trump campaign. Um, I agreed to both. Um, I don't know how many thousand calls I made, but I made several thousand. Um, and uh, uh, the next thing you know, um, I'm elected as a delegate uh, serving uh, the, my district. And um, uh, it, it's kind of odd because you have to go back to um, where I grew up, which was the third largest county in Pennsylvania. And um, uh, believe this or not, my mother uh, was the uh, uh, Democratic Party chairwoman for years. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, so, yeah, so I, uh, uh, I called several of my friends that I had graduated high school with and, and that I had uh, uh, worked out with for years and played high school football with and you name it, who are now politicians in that in my uh, uh, home county. And um, I convinced them to, to vote Trump and uh, went to uh, the RNC, uh, absolutely amazing time. Uh, if anybody uh, is, is looking to do that, I suggest they try it because it is, uh, uh, it's a great group of people. Um, I, uh, I was quoted, I was actually quoted in the Huffington Post at one point um, uh, during, the, uh, during the RNC. When, when I said that we ought to go over to a certain state and just beat the tar out of the people so that they'll vote Trump. Um, anyway, um, uh, uh, the president uh, then was um, the, the, uh, the candidate for the party, and uh, uh, I, of course, stayed on board with um, the gentleman that, that pulled me in. 
and uh, we are still to this day very good friends. In fact, spoke to him this morning, um, and uh, uh, was blessed enough to um, uh, be one of four people to, uh, in fact, the other person was my wife, but uh, or another person was my wife, but um, was blessed enough to welcome the vice president uh, to the state, uh, met with him a couple of times already, met him a couple of times already, um, met with met the president uh, when he was candidate. Um, and I am uh, uh, I'm a chairman of a committee appointed by our governor here, um, a statewide committee. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm political. <laughs> well, you know, Joe, I wanna I wanna personally thank you for that. You know, it it takes a special kind of person to be involved in politics without being a politician. And uh, there's a lot of work that gets done out there that we don't hear about that's just everyday people like you that are, are, are doing the grassroots kind of stuff. And, and I really appreciate someone who's willing to put that effort in it. But I want to go back to a comment you made earlier, something about you having an ego. Uh, were you trying to tell us that, you know, as uh, his campaign uh, chairman for Pennsylvania, that you were responsible for that last minute uh, <laughs> swaying of the Pennsylvania and actually Trump winning Pennsylvania. Is that what you're trying to say? No, 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 no. What I'm, what I am at, I'm actually telling you. And the numbers. Uh, this has nothing to do with ego. This has to do with factuality. Um, the, the, and I do not. I live in Tennessee. So, oh. so this was. This is the crazy part. Um, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, of course, uh, in Tennessee, and I went to Pennsylvania, and I met with my old friends, and I told them everything that they needed to do. I, I, I don't want to name names, but, but I actually have a, uh, uh, a, uh, a friend who is a politician who uh, is a devout Democrat, and he voted for the president. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. I bet you rolled up your sleeves when you went back there, too, didn't you? Uh, ro- rolled up my sleeves. <laughs> I didn't have to. I just, wore my hat. I just wore my hat backwards. That's all. See, yeah. that, that, that's one of the reasons when I come up to the plant, you could trust yeah. me with everything. I know what you'll do to me if I talk about what goes on in there, but I am really looking forward to it. Hey, wow, we've got two minutes left, so there. I want to give you yeah. an opportunity to give some people some information about Peterson's, how they can find out more about Peterson's Brass, how they can get a hold of you if they, if they want to buy some product. Give us everything we've got in two minutes. Okay, in two minutes. Um, well, uh, of course, you can always find us online, uh, and the website is pretty simple. It's uh, petersoncartridge.com, and um, uh, you can always reach the plant. Uh, the number there is uh, 724 724- Nine four zero seven five five four, and um, uh, you can find us on Facebook. Um, I believe there is a little bit of uh, 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 tweeting going on about us, as well as Instagram. Um, we're we're pretty uh, we're pretty uh, social media conscious. Um, uh, we try to do some things. We we uh, uh, we had our. Um, um, communications manager uh, who, who unexpectedly passed away uh, first week of August. Uh, God rest his soul. It was a it was a tough one because he um, 
uh, he, he did a lot of the social media. He was very good at it. Um, so, uh, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to take up, um, uh, trying to take up the charge there for him. Um, hey, Joe. So, uh, uh, yeah. Sorry for your loss. I know that's really tough. We've lost some of our key people in our organization. When you're in business for 43 years, it's hard to, to go without losing some of your key people. I know how tough it can be. I just wanted to thank you. We're, we're out of time now, so I'm going to have to sign off. But I want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks for sharing about your life and, and your political exploits, as well as uh, all the information that you have on Peterson Cartridge. I want to I want our listeners to know that's Peterson, spelled P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N, uh, so that they can find it, petersoncartridgecompany.com, and on Facebook at uh, Peterson Cartridge. So, uh, really enjoyed having you on, Joe. It was a great time, and I uh, look forward to the next time we get together. Thank you. The pleasure was mine, gentlemen. Take care, man. And Bye-bye. I want to thank all of our listeners for being with us for the last hour. It's been a great time. Um, you can join us each week on voiceamerica.com, the sports channel. Uh, this uh, In a couple of weeks, we're coming up to... Uh, or daylight savings time. Correct. So keep an eye out. Once we hit daylight savings time, we'll be back on 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So that uh, that's 12 o'clock, I mean, sorry, 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, 12 o'clock Arizona time. Which will be in sync with mountain time. Right, which yeah. could be the same as Denver. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll, that, that'll be all on the, the face on the website when you go to look for us on sportsamerica.com. So um, really enjoyed having the, uh, the guests on today. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.